Welcome to the CFI Podcast, hosted by Canadian Forest Industries Magazine, Canada's leading national logging and solid wood products magazine since 1881. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends in the logging and wood products industries with experts from across Canada. This podcast brought to you by MNP features Chris Duncan, our national leader of forestry and forest product services. MNP, wherever business takes you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the CFI podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Elson, editor of Canadian Forest Industries magazine. And thanks for tuning in. So today, our guest for this episode is Chris Duncan, National Leader of Forestry and Forest Product Services at MNP. We will be taking a look back at the forest industry in 2023, and we'll go over some of the highlights, trends, major events, and the challenges and opportunities in the coming year. So Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jennifer. Let's start with the industry's economic outlook, Chris. Can you talk about the lumber prices and demand? What are some of the factors that drove these market trends? So 2023, I'd say, uh, was a year back to uh, the norm or, or closer to norm compared to the, the last few years that we've had in the industry. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, volatility in the lumber markets. And, and really, when we look at 2023 prices, uh, they've been fairly flat. And, and if we were to look, that's quite similar to the trend back in 2019 and, and, the, and some of those pre-COVID years. The price kind of hovered anywhere from around that kind of somewhere in the the 400 to 450 us per thousand and that's kind of a little more historical where where things are at the one thing with that sort of pricing though is the majority of canadian mills have been running at a break even or or small losses throughout the the majority of the year really what's driving that is the the post-covid craze has come to an end Today, you know, I think lumber sits at around about 440. Uh, a year ago, we were over 800. So significant uh, change year over year. That's almost double. So some of the factors driving this are uh, the return for consumers to go back to vacationing and traveling instead of, uh, you know, less focus of spending and uh, their savings on renovations and around the house. We saw a big uptick of that during COVID and uh, that spending cycle is is starting to move on and change. We're seeing people traveling abroad uh, and uh, and spending their money on tourism. The other thing, uh, there's uh, definitely the interest rates both in Canada and abroad have slowed down the housing market, slowed down housing starts in both Canada and, and abroad. And the other thing is, is the supply for housing is starting to catch up a little bit after the, the COVID craze. There was a big surge of housing need during COVID and that's starting to catch up as well. The supply chain has also caught up uh, during the last couple of years. If you went into a hardware store, you'd be hard pressed if you could buy lumber that you needed for your projects. Uh, quite often there was restrictions in the in the hardware stores as far as the the quantity you were allowed to purchase and things like that. That's completely gone, and uh, the supply chain is caught up there. Looking forward, I mean, from everything that I've uh, heard from folks I've talked to and and discussed things with, uh, I think we we all kind of expect to see some modest price increases come the spring of 2024. 
Uh, that's mainly as housing demand increases. The one thing we always have to be mindful of is the, the U.S. market when it comes to housing, there's still a giant shortfall uh, for single family residences in, in the United States. So uh, when we see interest rates start to soften a little bit or the consumer just to really get to used to the new interest rate um, regime, sort of where we're at with interest rates, like historically, we're still in, in relatively stable interest rates. But the consumer isn't used to it right now when they used to be able to go and qualify for two percent or two and a half percent and now they're facing six or seven uh it's just a it's a it's a thought process and and once the consumer does get used to those higher interest rates we'll see some some uh uptick again in the housing market so the expectation is the us is still gonna keep building houses just not at the accelerated pace that we saw through COVID. so um overall expect some price increases but uh, don't expect what we've seen the last uh, uh, few years in 20 and 2021. I think overall that's that's good hearing from you that uh, 2023 is the year back to normal or closer to normal. And for 2024, there's some ray of sunshine in there. Now, I would like to talk about fiber shortages and the disruptions that cause, caused by the intense wildfires, storms, flooding, other natural natural disasters that affected logging operations in 2023 and disrupted supply chain, like you said. And uh, because of this, mills were taking downtime as a result. Now, for a lot of people, it seems that this, this disruptions had had bigger impact this year versus the previous years. But is that really the case? Oh, I think the thing with this year was it, it was it was a, it was a, a worse than uh, than we'd ever seen in a year. But I think the other big part of it was that it was so widespread across the country. I mean, if you look back, BC's had really bad wildfire years. Um, Alberta's had some bad years, and you know we can we can kind of remember when. Fort McMurray had their fires and, and we can remember in 2017 when BC had one of its first uh, worst wildfire years, but it, it, it wasn't really widespread. And the thing with this year was the, the wildfires and some of the different um, weather events were widespread across the whole country uh, from coast to coast. We had issues. So on the fire side, it was definitely the worst year we've ever seen. Uh, 2023 is uh, now known as the most destructive wildfire season on record for Canada. There was over 6,000 fires across the nation and about 16 and a half million hectares of, of woodlands were burned up in 2023. So um, huge, huge number. And that's the equivalent of a country the size of Greece burning to the ground. So wow. very, very vast. Uh, and it's about double what the annual average was for the worst year in the 1980s. Um, so we've seen a trend over the last 30, 30, 40 years that every year is progressively getting worse. And, and this year definitely was, was the worst yet. The other weird trend was the fires were widespread from coast to coast. So if you look at a map of where the wildfires were, yes, Alberta and BC had uh, the vast majority of them, but every province had their wildfires ontario quebec had some uh, a lot of uh, wildfire issues this year uh, i was there in july and and the smoke from the wildfires that were coming through was just 
the thickest I'd seen in a long time. And uh, living out in BC, we we get wildfires smoke probably every summer. And and uh, I know talking to the folks back east, it, they they weren't used to that scale of it. So. The other thing is we're seeing more and more of these what we call mega fire events. So these aren't just small wildfires. These are wildfires that consume more than 100,000 hectares each. And this year we saw 30 of those fires. And these are massive fires. These are fires that go on for, for kilometer after kilometer after kilometer and just devastate a, a huge, vast area. The other thing was, was oddly enough, you know, I just talked about how horrible the fires were this year, but then in the summer, the East got a massive amount of rain. They got record rain. Uh, parts of Nova Scotia received rain that they, that uh, basically the rain records uh, of, of over 50 years being smashed in a night and mass flooding. Uh, they had road damage and infrastructure damage and you know all that slows down the supply chain. And, um, and being from the West Coast, we're used to a lot of rain, but um, when you have three months worth of rain on the East Coast in one night, it, it's devastating. The, the, the infrastructure can't keep up with uh, draining that water off. And uh, I know there's communities that were being threatened with uh, evacuation notices because of levees and dams being threatened and, and things like that. So uh, we've kind of seen the, both the flip side of, of fire and, and rain um, water threats. So, um, and that was, you know, BC got some really bad flooding a few years back, which was similar. We had atmospheric uh, rivers that hit and uh, damaged a lot of our infrastructure. And so, you know, while 2023 was uh, record-breaking in many aspects and terrible, I, it's just a trend we've been seeing that's been growing um, over time. And uh, I don't think it's a trend that's going to go away. So, um, you know, what we need to focus on is how do we manage with somewhat the, the new norm the with uh, climate change and things like that this is becoming a little bit of the the newer norm so we need to mitigate some of the impacts and and you know how can we make uh, communities more resilient to wildfire how, how can we you know protect things like that I know um, I believe it was Whitehorse is, is suggesting some uh, basically community fire breaks that they'll create to help protect communities uh, from from large fires and things like that. And I think it it is a little bit of the the uh, where we're headed, um, given given where uh, our weather patterns and things like that are going. Now, talking about all these natural disasters, Chris, these events may have led to increased attention on climate resilience in the industry. So there are there's increasing concerns about deforestation, habitat preservation, and climate change, like you said. This may have led to heightened scrutiny of the industry's practices requiring companies to invest in more sustainable and environmentally friendly approaches. So Chris, how are we doing in terms of these issues? Uh, Canada is doing okay. We aren't the worst and we aren't the best, but we're doing okay. And and really, I think there's a lot more that we can do. Um, one of the biggest battles out there that the Canadian forest industry has is that battle against uh, misinformation surrounding the industry. Time and time again, I'll, I'll go to an event and, and I hear from folks that just don't really know the full picture or don't have the, the information and a lot, a lot of a lot of what they latch onto is that misinformation that's out there everywhere. And as an industry as a whole, we don't do enough to protect that 
the image of the industry and 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 kind of you know tell the real story of of what the industry is about and and you know that the environment is very uh, near and dear to everyone in the industry we we rely on on the environment and the trees for our industry so and, and you know saying that i think we need to toot our horn more about the industry and, and the sustainability of it uh one of the things that always uh you know i always i always throw out there when i'm talking to folks is you know when it comes to sustainability only about 10 percent of the world's force have actually been certified as sustainable while when you look at canada over 40 percent of our force have so we're we're a world leader in that. That's about 170 million hectares uh, as of 20. I only have 2017 stats, but as of 2017, you know that's three times the next nation behind us. So when it comes to being certified as sustainable, Canada is a world leader in that aspect. And you know when I tell people that that aren't involved in the industry, they're usually quite quite surprised by that stat. But the reality of it is, is as an industry, our customers are asking for sustainability. They're asking for environmental friendly practices. You know, they're asking for it. So we're going to be continued uh, to be impacted by government policy, by what uh, the population wants and what our customers want. And so we're going to have to continue to focus on our sustainability make sure that our force are minimal impacts uh, force and make sure that our force products that we're selling to the customers are certified sustainable. They're, they're, they are um, products that have a minimal impact on the force uh, to be harvested and produced. And honestly, as an industry, we just need to continue to focus on that sustainability uh, to ensure that going forward, we still have a sustainable industry that that protects Canadian uh, jobs and shows that, you know, we are the world leaders in that uh, space and we continue to be and to show our customers where that's coming from, because that's going to be the, the biggest thing going forward is, um, you know, what does the customer want? And the reality of it is, is they want full disclosure on sustainability and, and harvest practices, things like that. And uh, one of the big things that is going to be coming out is the whole greenhouse gas emissions uh, and tracking of that. So uh, quite likely in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see a whole new world of accounting uh, right now, you know, accounting is for taxes and profit, but we're going to have carbon accounting uh, that every company that's going to, every company is going to have to do it. And right down from your uh, logging contractor and your trucking contractors to the sawmills, um, everyone producing that that product throughout the value chain will have to do it. And really what it's going to come down from is the customer is going to demand it. So if you're selling a, a two by four to a hardware store, their customers are going to demand it. Their shareholders are going to demand it and they're going to want to know and be, have to be able to track how much carbon output has happened to produce that two by four. Okay. And so it, it's going to, uh, even though right now the government regulations are that it's the bigger companies that have to do it, by definition, that's going to drag in all the smaller companies along the way because the big companies are going to have to account for their contractors' uh, carbon output. And it's just going to be this this whole new world of accounting for for your greenhouse gas emissions. Overall, I think the the, the key to 
it all is actually proper force management, proper management of, of the supply chain and uh, proper force management is, has always been identified as the, the key to fighting climate change and natural disasters and mitigating that natural disaster. If you harvest the force properly, you can mitigate your wildfire risk. Um, if you plant the right mixed species and things like that, you can help uh, grow carbon sequestering forests. So um, when, it, when it comes down to it is the industry has a very good record of force management and we need to continue that and, and develop it even further based on our customer needs. That's really good information, Chris. The carbon accounting, our listeners can get a head start. You know, they can prepare for that. Um, now, in light of these issues, there were a couple of changes in government policies related to forestry and some environmental regulations as well, or support programs that had a significant impact on the industry. Now, especially in BC, where you're located, the provincial government announced several funding projects to encourage diversification and support for meals. So are we to expect more announcements like this for the for the coming year? One can hope, that's the fact, um, that you know we can hope for more programs. Um, it would be really nice to see more support from uh, government at that, that level to help transform the industry into that more robust and diverse industry um, and to help with some of the um, sustainability uh, items and things like that that I mentioned in, in the, uh, the earlier question there. But the reality of it is, is, you know, yes, we saw some programs come out of BC. When it comes to the scale and the capital intensiveness of the forest industry, the scale of the programs were fairly small in that aspect. Um, you know, when you, when you have a $10 million improvement on your sawmill and you get $100,000 from the provincial government. It doesn't go a huge away, but I mean, it's it's something, you know, it's recognizing that there there's there. I think, there, I think government recognizes that there's more there, but it's also um, a little bit of the battle of what do voters want to support and battling that misinformation that a lot of the, the, the um, uh, a lot of folks will have out there about forestry. You know, why why are we putting our tax dollars into forestry is always a question that that um, folks will hear. And it's the industry's kind of hidden behind the scenes in a lot of communities and people don't realize the the impact of it. So, you know, I, I really hope to see government supporting the industry and you know supporting the fact that it is such a sustainable industry. There's lots of conversations going on with governments about it with various organizations and, and force associations. So, um, and government is generally open to having those discussions. It's just a matter of what scale can they, can they support um, various programs and things like that. So. Right. Now, what about the other challenges that almost all industries, not, not just our industries have faced this year? So for example, supply, supply chain disruptions, you mentioned that uh, transportation issues and labor shortages, or even dispute with the unions that affected meal operations uh, all throughout 2023 and other logistical problems. So is this a continuing trend, you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I really hope uh, the supply chain uh, does actually continue to right itself after COVID. It, it seems to be heading in the right direction in, in most cases that, uh, you know, the supply chain is uh, catching up and um, <clears throat> there's a bit more normalness to the to the supply chain side of things. Um, when I look 
at the industry as a whole, I think one of the biggest challenges that's going to be really hard is, is labor. Labor is, is, a, is becoming a very hard thing in the industry. When I talk to, to clients and folks out in the industry, it seems to be one of the number one things. And, you know, that, that was not unlike other in, industries for most of COVID was labor was so hard to get and so competitive. Um, what I'm seeing is it's starting to soften in some industries, but in the forest industry, generally we have an older base for our labor pool and we're not seeing the younger folks um, coming into the industry. So the problem is every time we have lower markets or we have price fluctuations and we have shutdowns and slowdowns, we lose the new youngest workers in the industry. You know, young folks want certainty and and they want to ensure that they can pay their bills. We know cost of living in all the provinces across Canada are is is just increased so significantly in the last few years. The cost of housing in BC is a battle that we see all the time now with um, with our folks that are that are trying to hire uh, young folks to enter into the industry. A lot of competing markets. Uh, you know, it used to be the age old that forestry was an industry you went into, you, you made a premium compared to other folks. Um, and, and now we're seeing that wage gap tightening up a lot. Like given the current market volatility, it, it doesn't bring the certainty that young folks that are going to be choosing a career or entering into a career want. And that's the biggest struggle I see is like not a lot of uh, young folks uh, entering and training in the industry. Um, and that's going to create a labor crisis at some point in time. And that's something that you know, your, your question earlier about government support, um, government support around training and, and, and bringing in the next generation of forestry workers would be would be something that I, I kind of see as a critical thing that if we don't have the workers, we're going to have a, a real uh, crisis on our hands in the industry. If we can't, uh, you know, uh, then our supply chain will tighten up. Um, because we won't be able to produce enough of the wood products we need to get out to market and fulfill what our customers need. So um, I, I do see labor. Like, that's the one I keep looking at my, my, my crystal ball, and I see uh, a lot of storm clouds on that front for sure. 2024 is also going to be interesting uh, when it comes to labor agreements. So uh, the, the coastal BC contracts for union agreements are all up in June of 2024. And five years ago, we had a long and drawn out strike. Um, and I know lots of folks are out there predicting that a similar situation could uh, could mean the end of many forced, uh, forestry careers for the folks who can't sit at home for nine months waiting on a settlement like they did last time. I know lots of folks that exited the industry five years ago when, when the last um, labor uh, negotiations and strike occurred. And I know lots of folks now that are just sitting there waiting to figure out, you know, if this is going to happen again, that's two times uh, within a decade. I can't handle it anymore. You know, there's very few families out there that have nine or 10 months worth of savings to um, pay a mortgage that they're already um, at the at their, you know, highest, highest point as far as um, affordability goes. So I, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm really hoping that the parties involved kind of have prevailing heads and can come to some sort of a, an agreement before a strike action happens and, and cripples the industry.
I'd say going forward, if if you know, if I had to predict one of the, one greatest challenge for the industry, labor is going to be it. That labor pool is shrinking as we have retirements, and we're not replacing uh, workers uh, fast enough with young workers that are, you know have longer careers in the forced industry. So we're going to have to look at other alternatives um, when it comes to labor and how can we solve those. Right now. Um... On a more positive note, Chris, there's been a lot of technological advancements in the industry. Um, for example, the adoption of digital tools for forest management, improved logging techniques and innovations in wood processing. And you just mentioned uh, possible or potential solutions for the labor shortage. Now, AI, artificial intelligence, is one big news for 2023 for every industry. So is this part of the solution or will this impact our industry in some other ways you think i think uh forestry you know i think every industry is going to be uh, impacted by ai is just going to be the the amount or the depth that ai will integrate itself into the industry um you know ai for forestry management is evolving and is going to be very useful uh creating things like predictive models and uh, analytics uh ai is already doing that um you know, I think AI is going to be really able to help folks build better management plans when it comes to forestry management and, and harvesting. Um, the other thing it, it, I've I've seen I've seen a few demos on um, where AI can actually build accurate inventory models uh, remotely. So you know the traditional cruise of cruise of forest model. Um, AI can actually use that along with some, you know, along with telematics and things like that to create a, to create an accurate inventory as to what a landowner can, will have um, for forestry inventory. AI can also be used to maximize species, yield, nutrients, growing spaces. So you can actually take a land base and we saw this in agriculture originally, but it can take a land base and, and, using all the information that it can gather it can tell you what the best species mix is to plant on a on a, on a, a plot what your likely yields will be with those different um so you can run you can run models and time models based on what your plantings are for what your yield will be um it can look at a time a growing window as far as a timeline based on the nutrients and soil compositions of those areas and it can also tell you you know based on the soil you can space you you should be planting your spacing like this so um, a lot of really neat information on the management side ai uh for intelligent lumber grading uh log yield maximizing in a sawmill um etc it's it's huge like on the sawmilling side uh, we've been seeing a lot of automation over the the past few decades and and ai is only going to be able to grow that automation and make it even better I definitely expect to see more developments in that space as time goes on. You know, the the one side that is always interesting is the harvesting side. So I, I think in a lot of cases, in in some re in some regions, we're still logging a lot of the way that our uh, that our parents and our grandparents did. Uh, and so um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for for AI in that aspect. I mean, I just look at what they're using uh, AI in agriculture for. And if that's any sort of an example of what's possible, it's going to be interesting. Like you know, farmers can use AI right now to send 
uh, a harvester through a field and it will only harvest and pick out the weeds that are in the field because it can identify those species that aren't producing yields and, and go through that. So, you know, if we start actively managing our forests in Canada, more like plantation forests and farms, we could even get to that point where that technology could be useful. It can also go through a field and harvest crops that are ready and distinguish between a crop that is ready and a crop that isn't ready. So I see that as something a logging contractor could use that AI to only go through and harvest uh, the highest value timber, for instance, and selectively log a, a plot rather than the traditional clear cut method and maybe let the rest grow for a little. So I'm seeing opportunities for higher value fiber um, maximization in with AI. Um, the possibility for AI, I mean, there's many good things available with, uh, with AI in, in the forest industry. And uh, I think we just got to see, see what's, uh, what's going to come. Yeah, I, I think it's really very exciting, the combination of AI and robotics and automation. I think that's really something to look forward to, uh, especially in the coming year. So another big news that happened in 2023 is the uh, NAFTA ruling on Canadian softwood lumber products. So back in October, the NAFTA panel determined that the U.S. Department of Commerce erred in how it calculated important aspects of the anti-dumping duties applied to Canadian softwood lumber exports. So NAFTA actually directed the U.S. to revisit key elements of its decision. So, Chris, do you think this uh, ruling impacted our industry immediately or will it have an immediate impact? Yeah, it's a, uh, that's a difficult one. I mean... I kind of look back in the past and, and time attempt time again, you know, Canada's position has been upheld by the various reviews and, and um, the reviewing bodies when it comes to softwood lumber. But for the most part, the U.S. tends to ignore them for a big part. Um, you know, we're eight years actually in since the, the last softwood uh, agreement expired. And I don't see I don't think an end is still in sight yet. You know, the, the announcement there was was really positive for Canada's position on it. But then, you know, the, the U.S. then turns around and their most recent sunset review that they did in November basically said, well, you know what, we've decided to keep the anti-dumping and the countervailing duties. So despite NAFTA saying, uh, you know, uh, saying a month earlier that, uh, you're, you're not calculating it properly, the, the U.S. Said, basically turns around and says, okay, well, that's, that's great, but we're going to keep, we're going to keep up with it. So, you know, I don't see an immediate impact in, in the, from that decision. I, I see more of a longer term picture play, which is, I think honestly is Canada's position on this off with lumber. This is a long-term play that we have to play out and see where it goes. So, um, you know, I think many were hopeful when it, when the, the announcement happened, but I, I don't, I don't see it having an immediate impact on things. Mm -hmm. So we'll stay tuned for the coming years. Now, yeah. before we uh, we end the podcast, Chris, I want to ask you, what do you think sawmills and logging contractors need to be most aware of for the next year in order to successfully weather all the challenges coming down the pipeline? There seems to be so many. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think um, given some of the predictions that for most of 2024, you know, we'll see a, a small uptick in the lumber prices, but but the reality of it is 
Uh, most Canadian sawmills are still going to be operating around the break-even mark for most of 2024. Um, I, I think a big critical thing for 2024 for uh, sawmilling and logging contractors would be uh, being on top of your cash flow. So making sure that you are uh, aware of your cash flow, making sure that you're managing it so that you are able to uh, pay the bills when they, when they come in, uh, keep on top of things, don't get behind. And uh, then the other, the, the other thing would be, you know, managing your costs. So, you know, I don't think 2024 will be a, the year that, that uh, most folks will be want, wanting to enter into big capital uh, expansions and, and things like that. It, it's really going to be a holding period year and keep things going as they are. But um, don't uh, go out of the don't go out of the ordinary to uh, spend a lot on capital investments. The, the one thing is, is, you know, uh, things might get a little bit worse and they get better than they get better for 2024. So, you know, the, the hindsight of all that, though, is I do believe there will be some opportunities that arise in 2024 for the right people that are positioned correctly. So whenever we see markets uh, being kind of where they are, there's always opportunity for the right players to acquire folks that are looking to get out of the industry and things like that. And, and there's, uh, you know, a, a bit of that activity that's starting to pick up in the, in the end of 2023 here. And I think we'll see that into 2024 as, as markets kind of continue to, to, to uh, run along at a kind of a break even point. Mm -hmm. Some great advice indeed. So as always, thanks so much, Chris, for taking the time to share your expertise with all of us again today. So until the next episode, thank you everyone for listening and happy holidays. This podcast brought to you by MNP, MNP, wherever business takes you.